Hello and welcome to Beginning, Middle, End, the podcast where we talk to creators and story lovers about storytelling. Story is probably the most effective form of communicating ideas. Stories preserve history or obscure history, reveal our values and reveal our sins, make us laugh, make us cry, and make us feel things and see things. A story is half dream and half reality. Stories are my favorite things in the world. I'm Shane, and here with me today is Carrie Raisler, aka Twitter's TV and Dinners. She tweets about movies, television, food, and cat. Welcome. <laughs> Singular. Hello. <laughs> so rather than start the series off with a storyteller, I thought it would be interesting to start off with a story lover, a self-described TV obsessive. We've been friends a long time. You worked in reality TV development during the reality boom of the early 2000s. You've written reviews for the AV Club. I've heard multiple people say online that your image captions for your reviews are unrivaled. You watch a ton of TV, you tweet about it, you're the modern-day TV critic, but more importantly, a true TV lover. I'm going to talk to plenty of story creators on the show, but I wanted to begin from the perspective of the audience, because after all, the whole point of any story is to communicate something to someone else. So let's talk about story. Okay. So, as a viewer, what makes a good story, broadly speaking? Broadly speaking, I think... For me, and I mean, this is very personal still, but for me as a viewer, a good story is all about character. If you don't have, if your story doesn't connect to what your characters are, what they want, who you want them to be, it's just, if your story is just plot, basically, it's not a good story. So I would say anything that combines good, strong, built up characters with an actual plot that makes sense and is relevant and it will almost always be a good story because you're tying into something that has connection that has emotion now when you're when you're going into a, a tv series let's say when you were doing reviews did you approach it differently than just as a straight viewer when you're watching something for pleasure 100 <laughs> percent. yeah because because when you're approaching it as a reviewer you're kind of you have to be broader you have to think more than what do I just like? You have to think what does the audience as a whole want to see kind of, but it, but how you digest stories informs how you're going to review them no matter what. What I think is good is not going to be what a completely different critic thinks is good. And so that's why I think it's important if you have a, you know, a site, if you have a lot of different voices, it's always better. But yeah, you have, you go into it with your own biases, but you have to be more objective. Like as a viewer, I find, um, romantic relationships very compelling i i like ships i like that sort of thing but as a reviewer that doesn't necessarily my forefront when i want to give a review of something the objective more objective than you can than be as just a viewer so when you're when you're coming from that perspective of a, a reviewer what kind of things are you looking for do you have a checklist that you approach it with or do you just kind of have a feeling for how you want to craft uh, your review I think the show kind of tells you how to review it because every show is different and you have to meet the show where it is. I reviewed a lot of, I like network television. I reviewed a lot of network television, a lot of the CW, those type of shows. I like teen shows. I think you have to, if you're a reviewer, you can't be, you have to meet, you have to see what the show is trying to do and are they doing it well. Like how you review like NCIS is going to be completely different than how you review like Mad Men. They're trying to do different things. They're trying to tell different kinds of stories in different manners. So you just meet the show where it is. And is it, you know, is it succeeding if the objective is trying to have? 
So as a lover of broadcast TV, I mean, the big change in the last few years has been streaming television. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about how, how streaming has changed things. Oh, gosh. It's changed things so much. It's changed things so much that it's almost coming back around again. Streaming changed because of binge watching, because of, you know, people just hit next, 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 so they don't digest episode structure the way that they used to. Um, and now it's almost coming back where people are wanting weekly things again, like what Disney Plus is doing, like what HBO Max does, something mm-hmm. with their shows. I think the biggest thing it changed is, well, not only is you don't have the right to act breaks, but cable is already doing that. But I think the biggest thing it changed is, is the loss of episode structure. If you watch some streaming shows, you can, you can cut the episodes up completely differently and make like 10 different episodes out of the same 10 hours of television. It's like all they, at, at first, not, not always, but a lot of shows, they just want you to hit next episode. So as long as they end on a note that will make you want to keep going, then they've succeeded, which is good. It's fine. I mean, a lot of shows are really compelling and you're excited to hit that next episode. But as someone who I love episodes, I like episode structure. I love standalone episodes. I love, you know, stories told over many episodes. It's a little bit of a bummer to think how many shows, how many people don't really understand episode structure in the same way that they used to if they just watch streaming shows. Yeah, so it's changing audience expectations, and you think that is not necessarily for the better? I don't know if it's for the better or the worse. It's different. I'm I'm old buddy-duddy, and so sure, it's for the, <laughs> for the worse. But also, you know, there's some really great streaming shows that don't follow any of the rules of episodic television. I wish that TV people would stop saying they're making 10-hour movies, but that's just a whole other can of worms. <laughs> Yeah, I'll tell you two things that I miss uh, from the old way of doing things. Show intros, because everybody's oh. got to skip intro now. Some of the shows aren't oh. even putting an intro on. So there's yes. no uh, there's no setting you in the context in the world, like a Game of Thrones kind of, mm-hmm. of lead-in, or Dexter had a great uh, great show opening. And then um, the water cooler talk. Yes. Like everybody is on different episodes when you talk to your friends. You have to, uh, I can't go online without spoilers. I mean, right. it's just, it's hard to live when everybody can watch something beginning to end. Some people have more time than I do. Mm-hmm. Every, I mean, everyone has a different amount of time, right? You know, I think that's what's coming back around. Like Mare of Town that aired every week, people were so excited and it grew an audience throughout the whole, which doesn't happen very much anymore. Um, so I think that that's the thing that's coming back around. People are excited to be like, oh, did you watch that this week? Or did you watch, you know, WandaVision this week and things like that? That's kind of what's full circle right now, I think. So let's talk about, um, TV shows and whether or not they should stay dead. So we've seen a lot of TV shows. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a big thing where TV shows will just come back. Um, for for another season, uh, Veronica Mars, Gilmore Girls. I mean, everything's co- Gossip Girls coming back. You have so many shows that are coming back, and Will and Grace. Not all of them do well when they come back. Should dead shows stay dead? What's your your take on that? I think before a certain show came back, I would have said, you know, bring back every show you want. It's fine if they're not that good. It's fine, whatever. And then Veronica Mars broke me. And I would say I am very anti-bringing shows back right now still because I that show kind of betrayed its fans almost. I know that's 
that's a whole that's a very long discussion to be had at another time. But for me, as a fan, I'm a huge fan. One of my favorite shows of all time. I've watched. I had a podcast about Veronica Mars. We watched every single episode. Um, as a fan, I felt betrayed by the revival. So right now, I'd say you know, cool it on the show coming back. But things like Gossip Girl, it's a whole new show. So that's you know, I think that's kind of fun. Do what you so want. Reboots, if they're gonna reboots are okay, but continuations maybe not so much. Yeah, I mean, that one has really been very good, honestly. I can't think of one off the top of my head. The Gilmore Girls was not very good. Um, it's tough. It's tough. And the, most, the one I was most excited about ruined me. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I feel betrayed. Yeah, and there's I also think- the uh, the trend of, se- of series then going to a movie format, which Veronica Mars did as well. Mm-hmm. Sherlock, mm-hmm. they're talking about doing that with the Benedict Cumberbatch show. Like, what's your what's your take on going from a series to a movie? I think that's fun. I mean, it's it's completely, it's like a, you're telling a self-contained story then. You know, you're telling a two-hour thing. It's, you know, you're, you could leave it open-ended. You could close it forever. I think that's a fun way to bring a show back almost exclusively. And if it's bad, you never have to watch. The one thing I do think that's okay about these revivals is if they're bad or if you don't want to watch them, you don't have to. And you can just pretend they don't exist. Like, I pretend Monica <laughs> Mercy Season four does not exist. The movie is the end. I basically pretend the end of Gilmore Girls didn't happen. I mean, you don't have to. You can make your own viewing experience, which is one nice thing about TV. Yeah. So Veronica Mars died for you when they when they brought it back. What is what is yes. the show you could watch over and over? Um, well, for these for the shows that I watch over and over now are kind of embarrassing. They're mostly um, comfort TV for me, which is Food Network, HGTV, and Great British Bake Off. Great British Bake like, Off. Like shows yes. that are nice and that that have a beginning, middle, and end, and that I don't need to be too emotionally involved in. I don't have to pay attention. Like those are the shows I watch in the background over and over and over. I would say I used to watch more scripted, but now there's so much new stuff that it's hard to justify almost rewatching things over and over again. I used to obsessively rewatch Brown and Mars, for example. Another thing that TV series seem to do badly, and that's end their series. Had okay. lots of complaints about series endings like Dexter, Game of Thrones. I mean, that one was going to be a hard one to land. Uh, so many shows, they seem to start off with a lot of promise and then they kind of fizzle out or they just really miss their ending. What do you think is going on? Well, I think it's hard to end a TV show, first of all. I mean, you're never going to satisfy everyone in the audience. Everybody wants a different thing out of their show. Um, People are very emotionally invested in endings. So I think that's just automatically makes it difficult. I think for certain shows, after, if you go on, if a show goes on too long, it usually loses some, you know, some steam. It's not as good, you know, has new writers, it has new characters, you're not as involved. And it's hard to end that kind of a show because it's just not, the show that it used to be like er for example which is one of my favorite shows of all time the ending is pretty decent but you know the last you know six seasons are kind of you know not that great so you're not you don't really have high expectations a show like game of thrones was i just don't think that was very well written so it was not probably going to have a very satisfying ending and that's um because i don't think the writing in the last like season and a half was good so i don't think you can land that Dexter was terrible for like the last several seasons and they just went for it. It was 
awful and silly. And I'm very curious to see what they do when that comes back, actually, because it ended yeah, so stupid. Try again. <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's when I will actually watch because I have no emotional investment in it. It was it ended badly. And now I'm just like, well, how are they going to fix that? You know, that's interesting to me. Um, but there are some shows that end wonderfully. Controversially, I think Lost ended perfectly. I would not have wanted a different ending for Lost whatsoever. It was very... I think if your ending is emotionally satisfying, I said this at the top, but if your ending is emotionally satisfying to the characters, I'm going to like it. So that's why I liked the Lost ending. It was very emotionally satisfying. Very cathartic. Very... It was just... It left people that you cared about a place that was nice. And that's not... That's, you know, you're... That's something I look for in TV. I want my characters to be a little bit happy, but also the endings where the characters end up in terrible places and it's wonderful. Like a show we don't really talk about much anymore, but the shield was a great show, almost pretty solid throughout its whole run. It has one of maybe one of the best series finales ever and their characters end up in terrible places, but it felt right for those characters because they were terrible people. Um, Breaking bad is not, I let my parents of all time. I did not like the ending because emotionally I felt like Walter got the hook. And, but that's me. A lot of people loved it. You know, it's, it's everybody wants something different from their characters and from a show. So you, you brought up game of Thrones. So let's kind of mm-hmm. uh, dissect what, uh, what you think went wrong there. They seem to do really well when they had source material to work from. Once they started <laughs> outrunning the source material, um, I mean, broad strokes, they had to have uh, a framework from the source material. What do you what do you think went wrong? Well, I mean, that show is so complicated. That world is so complicated. I read all the books. It's so complicated. And I think, I do kind of think that, I mean, even though I think they probably, I don't know, because I haven't read too much about it, because I was kind of divested of the show by the end. Um, I think they they had a, an eye framework, hopefully, from George R. R. Martin that said, you know, here's maybe what would happen to these people. I don't know if they necessarily followed it, uh, but I do think that the characterizations in the end were not great. Um, I think it, it was very shallow to me. It started to more more shallow as the books get, you know, deeper and deeper and more intricate. The show, like character connections, felt more and more shallow. And I think it, it's it stinks because like you know everything about that show is so you know wonderful like production design the special effects the acting is all really great and I think in the directing I just really think the writing was not where it needed to be and I, you have to put that I mean I'm not a writer I I don't write TV they do it better than I can but you have to put that at the showrunner feet there's that's what they're there for and they just I don't think they steered the ship very well. Okay, let's switch gears a little bit since you, uh, you're claiming to not be a writer. You did, however, work in reality television. So I did. Specifically game shows, right? And it was, most, it was more of it's everything, actually. It was in development, yeah. so I worked in a department that we would pitch our show ideas to the network. I did the pitches. I did the pitch preparation that they would take. So, so let's talk about um, what, are the, what are the story beats? How do you create reality television story? The great thing about reality TV, especially reality game shows, is that story is built into the format. So, like, say, Survivor, you know, you go in, you have two tribes that automatically gives you story. You have a challenge that automatically gives you story. You have 
people getting voted out that automatically gives you story. And each episode has the same structure. The great thing about reality TV is, okay, because that, that's probably one of the best reality formats of all time. It, it's just a perfect thing. So I think Survivor is just like a perfect game. Um, and with the great thing about reality TV is within this very pretty structured formula is you have humans who are crazy and will do anything and you can't predict it. So that's what gives you variety. Like you're casting, you're humans, you're, the, they do things you will, you would never expect them to do. And that's what makes not every episode feel the same. And I think that's kind of the beauty of reality game shows. Does that, does that then spur people to cast crazy people, crazier and crazier people because they need that, that crazy element? Um, I think that's more of a thing on like the reality shows I don't really watch, but like those like Real Housewives, those kind of shows. I think that is very, um, that's a very good driver of their casting. They do cast personalities, but in Survivor, you're casting a mix. In those kind of games, you're casting a mix. Everybody can't be out of 10 at all times. You, it would be chaos. So you have to have, you know, some 10s, some fives, some twos that are all mixed together, but interesting enough that you want to root for them. So reality casting is, I never worked to know, but that's a tough, tough thing. But Survivor has probably the best in the business. Big Brother, not so good. <laughs> they have some issues. So besides uh, The Shield, what's an underappreciated show you love and why do you love it? Oh, gosh. Well, one of my favorite like top five shows of all time, it's probably not underappreciated with critics, but it's very underwatched because it was on a very tiny network. It has a very serious subject matter is Rectify. Um, you can't even stream it anymore anyway. They just took it off streaming. The fourth season isn't even on DVD. But it is a wonderful, wonderful show about a guy who is on death row for killing his girlfriend and gets out because evidence comes in that he maybe didn't do it. And it's just about him and what happens when he comes back to his town and lives with his family. And it's all character. It's all, it's just a beautiful, beautiful show. And I think if you can find it, you should watch it because it's incredible. Yeah. That is one thing that drives me crazy about all the new streaming platforms is how things move around. And sometimes you think something's on one channel and then you can't find it anymore. You got to wait for it to pop yep. up on some other network. Buy physical media. I, I bought the first three seasons of Rectify and then one of the actors actually on Twitter was like, well, you can't get the fourth season. It doesn't exist. And so <laughs> I was pretty upset about that. So buy the, buy the DVDs, but right. Buy, if you want, if you want, if you love something, you want to watch it in five years, you should buy it because there's no, absolutely no, you know, guarantee that it will exist anywhere in five years unless it was super popular. What's an upcoming show that you're excited about? Ooh. Um, gosh. Well, I'm excited for new seasons of shows. I I don't even know. I'm trying to even think of like a new show that I haven't seen that I know about and I'm excited about. I'm excited for new seasons of shows and I'm excited to catch up on things I'm behind on. Like I still haven't watched Ted Lasso and everyone talks about how great it is. And I'm always at least a year behind everyone else on season ones of anything. It's just the way it goes. Um, I was excited about Loki, but not so much. Are you on all the uh, platforms? Do you have Hulu, Apple Plus? Every single, yes, every single one. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Plus cable, because I am an old, old buddy that makes a lot of cable, so... Okay, what's your best piece of storytelling advice? Oh my god. 
I think my best piece of storytelling advice is don't get caught up in your your plot. I, I don't care about plot. Plot is great. Plot is fun. Plots don't make any sense at all. It's a problem. But if you have to pick, if you have to pick plot over story, because your story is not your plot. Your story is, you know, something overarching and it's breed in character. Your plot is just point A to point B. How do we get from this part of the story to the next part? And sometimes you can fudge that and go back and make it, you know, work completely. Sometimes it doesn't work, but I don't care. If you go back and read my reviews, I wrote about, you know, hundreds of episodes of Vampire Diaries. I barely talked about plot. And that was a very plotty show. So that tells you that, you know, you don't need to have, you don't need to have a perfect plot. You just need to have characters people like, and you need to give them an overarching story or you need them to want something that people are going to care about. And what is your next recipe that you're going to try out? (laughs) <laughs> um, um, not a, I don't have any new ones on deck you always catch me with no. these questions no I've just been you know making things I've already been making okay because I, I appreciate the uh, that a recipe <laughs> is like a story you have a beginning you have a middle and then you have the final product And yes it is and that's me how I feel about people who don't want to read the top of the, the recipe when they go get free recipes <laughs> online because it's not charitable <laughs> We'll leave that for another podcast. You can go off on people that don't read the whole recipe. There you go. Well, thanks for talking with me today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was fun. You can watch more of these podcasts on YouTube. Subscribe to Spilled Ink Media. If you're more the audio podcast type, then find Beginning Middle End Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can tweet me at Twitter at Optional D. And we're just starting out on this journey, so any positive review, comment, or thumbs up really helps. Tune in next time as we unravel more great story threads. Thanks. The end.